Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. So, we come together today to really one of the most unique sections of Scripture that we have in the Bible. And if we don't understand the first section, we won't understand the whole thing. Family, it is, it is complex, and it is a unique thing. God, God knows that we must like the idea of creating new things and new ideas and new flavors. Back in the 70s, in New Orleans, they created a dish that I still can't understand. They took a chicken, and they deboned it, rolled it into a ball, and wrapped the chicken into a duck. They then took the wrapped chicken and duck, and they wrapped it into a boneless turkey. And they called that thing a turducken. All right? Why did anybody do that? I haven't got a clue in the world. But I want you to understand, a baker by the name of Don Phoenix outdid that. And after you finish your turducken, you're to have a cherpumpkin. <laughs> and a cherpumpkin is a cherry pie placed inside a white cake and baked. Then... A pumpkin pie put inside a yellow cake and baked. Then an apple pie put inside a spice cake and baked. All of that to be layered and covered with cream cheese frosting and served. So once you're exploding because you've overeaten three different poultries, you will completely explode by having one slice of this cake. Why? Because we are just prone to wrapping way too much stuff up. Jesus does the same thing. And if you do not understand the turducken that Jesus is going to give to us today, you will miss the point of everything in these next few verses. It's as if Mark, who has flown through Jesus' ministry, is going to focus 24 hours in one encapsulated section of Jesus' ministry. And the first is the most unusual that we have in all of the Gospels. Jesus will stand in front of a fig tree, get mad at a fig tree for not having figs on that fig tree when It's not even the season to have figs. And seemingly in his anger, he will curse that fig tree, and then he will go into the the temple. We have no understanding of why this is written to us, and he now goes into the temple area. When he goes into the temple area, he will call out the leadership. He will disrupt what's going on. He will proclaim that what you're doing, you've made my father's house nothing more 
than a den of thieves. And then he will walk away from the temple. Now the next morning, we see the, the final, the application comes in. And Jesus and the disciples are going to walk past that same fig tree. And now that fig tree is dead completely. Shriveled with leaves and dead to its roots. I want you to understand that ultimately this, this section of Scripture is so packed that in order to accomplish it, it's going to take two weeks. So we're going to take the illustration, if you will, the cursing the fig tree, and then we're going to see the, the, the temple. And then we'll come back next week because this is one of the few places in all the Bible that God gives us both an interpretation and a divine application. God gives us the privilege of applying Scripture in our lives all the time. But in this particular case, Jesus backs up and says, wait a second, let me apply this with a divine perspective. And so we're going to see today, we'll, we'll see the, the implications, the interpretation. Next week we'll be able to see in the third of these, these, these small pieces, these vignettes of Scripture, we're going to be able to see the application that God gives it. So if you will, I want you to jump in with me, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 19. And you can join on the screen, or better yet, in your own cell phone or scripture. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, and you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. And they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Now, family, when we, when we put all that together and our first look at it is a corporate, huh? So let's unpack it and see it in its, its Jewish and its first century perspective. But I want you to understand we're going to be looking at it and recognizing that it's a difficult miracle. So I want you to notice we're, we're simply going to call this a difficult miracle. The cursing of the fig tree is the only miracle of destruction in all of the Gospels. And I want to suggest to you this is an acted-upon parable. Those of you who have any concept or, or any reading in the Old Testament... There is a character who does some very odd 
illustrations in his life, the character of Ezekiel. And, and God tells him, in, in one case, he is to make a diorama of Jerusalem. And he takes that diorama and he pictures what will become the siege of Jerusalem by the, by the Babylonians. He will, he will act out how the men and women who are suffering in Jerusalem are to behave. He will even have a limited amount of food, and he has to cook it on cow's dung to just visually make this thing more real in the lives of the people. And this is an acted-out parable. And it's the only way that you can look at what is now going to happen to this poor fig tree is if you look at it as an acted-out parable. Because any way you look at it, Jesus, in our eyes, isn't held to the highest of regards, unless it's a parable that's acted out. Because who would look at a tree that didn't have fruit in season to eat and then punish that tree in such a unique way? And so this is a strange, strange parable. Let's try to, let's try to put some, some ideas to it so that we understand. Family, now let me, let me come in and, and teach you a little, a little agriculture. And it shouldn't come from me. I don't know fig trees. So let me just tell you a little bit about a fig tree. A fig tree loses all of its leaves. And the first thing that comes out on a fig tree is the little nubs of future fruit. So when the future fruit is on the tree, you will see the bare branches and the future nubs of future figs. All right, you got that in your head? Then the leaves will start to fill in. And finally, when it's filled in, you should expect some sort of harvest if you would go in and look at the tree. Now, apparently, those who even like figs will go in and eat pre-ripened figs. Don't know why, but they do. And Jesus goes up to this fig tree and looks up into it. The leaves are in full development. So with the leaves in full development, you should be able to look up and see fully functioning, fully developed figs growing in place. Family, it would be much the same as you and I walking through an orchard that, that we have today that has already been scarred by frost. Forgive me, but if, if you've not done that, I, I can't think of anything more discouraging than to walk through a, a peach orchard and the whole thing has been burnt out by the frost. And you have these lovely, beautiful trees filled with leaves, ready, ready to go. But you look into it, and they're all bare with no fruit. What a discouraging situation. You don't have a peach orchard to have a bunch of pretty trees. You want fruit. So Jesus is looking here at this moment of time, and he sees no fruit on the tree. 
The fruitless fig tree illustrates the empty effort of worship in the temple. Mark ties the curse of the tree with the fate of Jerusalem and the temple. Family, you and I are a week separated because of the preaching schedule and our worship on Sunday. But we're talking about just yesterday in our text of Scripture. Just yesterday. Jesus rode into town on a donkey. Jesus rode in on a colt. They covered his, he, they covered his saddle with blankets and coats. They covered the ground with their coats and branches. And they proclaimed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They announced him as the coming Messiah. And yet, there is no ending to the triumphal entry because he walks into the temple and he is not accepted as king, nor is he simply ignored. There is nothing there. He simply gets off, walks into the gate, and as we see the close in verse 11, he looks around and walks away. This has been nothing more than an incredibly large show. Jesus wept in loving awareness of the future of Jerusalem and her people yesterday. Today, Jesus now expresses why destruction is coming, Israel's loyalty to God and the priority of God are non-existent. Family, the Old Testament uses the fig tree to not only picture Israel itself, it also pictures the judgment that Israel occurs. Let me read to you a long section from Jeremiah 24, and I'll read beginning in about halfway through verse 1. Hear what it says. The Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs so bad they could not be eaten. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back to, the, to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. So family, the verses that we just have read, God takes a large part of the men and women out of Jerusalem and Judea here. Uh, for those of you who might want perspective, possibly Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of this group that is taken out. He says, I'm going to call them good figs. I'm going to put my blessing on them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to watch over them. And so we have a group that he says, these are good figs. Now, listen to the rest of the story, beginning in verse 8. But thus saith the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, 
so I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse to all the places where I have driven them. And family, when you understand the siege of Jerusalem and what Babylon does to Jerusalem itself, you will begin to understand. The siege is so horrible that men and women will eat their own dung for nourishment. Men and women will see their children and their grandchildren and then eat them for nothing more than consumption. This is one of the worst pictures that we have of God's judgment found in all of the Bible. They did not listen. And the book of Lamentations is filled with very, very exacting and hard-to-take vision of exactly what happens when people would not listen and repent before the Most High God. It is graphic. They take the king, Zedekiah, and the king Zedekiah has been urged and pleaded with by spiritual leaders to accept that he is a vassal. He is an, he is an, an underling of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he would not. He refused to. And when the nation fell, he was captured. All of his children were killed in front of his very eyes. And then his eyes were blinded. He would never again see anything else, and his minds would or his mind would always be fresh with what happened to his children in front of him, because he would not listen. And those who followed him in rebellion would see the same thing occur. Jesus is using this fig tree to illustrate exactly what's going to happen to Israel, because he has pleaded with it for more than 1,500 years. Please walk with me. Please be with me. Please have a relationship with me. And back and forth they would go in repentance and rebellion, repentance and rebellion, until their hearts were so hard that we come to this moment in time and we see a rebellious group of individuals who would not listen to God. The curse of the fig tree is a symbol of God's judgment for the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Judea, and specifically an ending to the temple that represents the first covenant. Family, we see a difficult miracle. Let's now come in to a dirty temple. Jesus walks in having, having given the disciples a very, very unusual, played out, acted out parable. We now have him walking into the temple. Last week we saw a nation receiving Jesus with the praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Family, these, these, these communicants 
were from the four corners of the Roman Empire. They were up to half of Galilee, half of Judea. He enters the temple like one more attendee. No one cared. No one noticed. He simply walks in. But I want you to understand, Jesus did not come to worship like the rest. Jesus came to declare the divine disappointment of the religious behavior going on in the temple through the eyes of God. He would purge its pollution. And so we see him beginning to work against the money changers and the sellers of sacrifice. Family, Jesus could have focused on any one of a plethora of, of world injustices, but his focus was on the ultimate issue, a right relationship with God. I want you to understand, Jesus is going to go after the very heart of the temple. And if you will, allow me to give you just a number of issues of, of background here so that you understand it, the graphic nature of what's going to go on. If I could take you this morning to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you would find a, a, an area almost 35 acres inside, the bulk of which would be called an area to the Gentiles. Anyone could be in there. Anyone could, could, could fellowship within those arenas. You would then walk into a closer area, less than two acres, that would be only for Jewish men and women, and then only for Jewish men. And then finally, oh, the temple itself laid out there in virtually the middle, facing east. It was one of the great buildings, the great constructions of its time. And nearly the entire 35 acres is set aside for selling, sacrifice, and taking in the temple tax. Family, this is, a, this is a dirty situation. We've reduced one of the most important sacrifices to a, just a clear money grab. You and I don't understand the money. I mean, this is Disneyland on steroids. If you think money is expensive there or you spend a lot of money, this is nothing in comparison First off, they would have collected the temple tax. The temple tax would have been gathered for every Jewish male in the entire Roman Empire, 20 years of age and over. And that equaled two days' wage. They speculate the amount every year they would have gathered that just went for the maintenance of the temple at $150 million. They then would have gathered sacrifices they would have sold those money those sacrifices at a heightened arena family we have no idea the graft involved we have one slim picture Josephus the historian writes of one rabbi who did his work to try to reduce the graft that was going on in the temple at one point doves doves were used to purify a woman who had just had a baby Mary used two turtle doves as her sacrifice. Turtle doves were being sold at approximately, our currency, $88.
He had them reduced to their standard five. Now imagine the graft. A sacrifice at the time of the Passover, we know from, uh, from what we have in history, there were 255,000 lambs sacrificed. Imagine the money grab that would have put a value of approximately 12 times the value of each and every sheep being sacrificed in that season. Jesus looked down and what was to be the most influential sacrifice in many of these Jewish men and women's lives is reduced to nothing more than a money grab. The Passover lamb was significant. It represented two things. First, it represented the judgment of God. If I took you back today to, to Exodus chapter 12, God said, you're going to destroy, you're going to sacrifice this lamb. This lamb, you're going to take the blood and you're going to put it on the side posts and on the mantle, the top of the door. And my death angel will pass over every home that I see. That symbolic act of worship, that submission to me, but to the Egyptians, it's the tenth plague. The plague that takes every, every male firstborn in the home, every male firstborn within the flocks and the herds, and kills them. It is a graphic understanding of the judgment of God for not listening to what God exacts as a standard of behavior. And to the Egyptians, a submission to him. They would not submit. But I want you to understand, it also represents the salvation of Israel. Because anyone who submits and puts the blood on the doorpost now is part of the fellowship, the relationship that God has with every one of the Jewish men and women in the community. And it, for them, it is God's loving act. He paid the price, symbolic in the sacrifice, for what they could not do. And he provides their salvation. So family, that picture becomes very, very helpful to us when John the Baptist will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walks into the temple and they have reduced the most precious identity, the sacrifice that he has to his work, his offer of salvation, full and free, and turn it into nothing more than a way in which they can make money. How horrible that spirituality becomes nothing more than a money grab. And so we see this horrible, dirty temple. And family, throughout the week, you will hear in preaching to come into the future. Jesus uses incredible language to look at the spiritual leaders of Israel. He will call them hypocrites. Worse yet, he will call them snakes. Later on, he will call them worthy of hell itself. And family, he then looks at them, at least in our text of Scripture, and he says, you have turned 
my father's house into a den of robbers. The Bible says they hear that. In other words, they understand exactly what he says. This isn't merely the fact that they overheard him saying it. They understood clearly who they were through the mind of the Son of God. And they sought to kill him. But I also want you to understand what the text says. Jesus walks away. And as picturesque as the temple seeing God leave it, to have Jesus walk away from the temple is a teaching of Mark to simply say Jesus is walking away from the temple itself. Jesus is walking away from everything it represents. And you and I will have a clearer understanding of salvation as we see the cross of Christ unfold. As Jesus walks away recognizing that men and women cannot fulfill salvation through any effort on their part to fulfill the Ten Commandments. They cannot do it. Even though Israel had said, we will obey, we will accept the covenant that you've created with us, they cannot do so. And then the very effort that God gives them to offer salvation, to restore what they cannot do in the sacrificial system, they destroy by making it of no significant value. And so, family, a new covenant will come. One in which Jesus Christ says, I will pay. He becomes our Redeemer. He becomes not only the substitute or the replacement of the Lamb, but He becomes the substitute for us. We no longer have to do our own work because we cannot accomplish salvation by our own work. We will receive the offer of salvation when we receive the gift that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and we recognize His work and His authority in our lives. And we call ourselves Christ followers not because we did anything to deserve it, but we accept the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so Jesus walks away from a very dirty, dirty temple. Now, if you will, out of that springs an incredible life lesson. And that life lesson is simply this. Don't play Christian. Don't play Christian. Don't play Christian, one, with your belief. Christ was crushing in his condemnation of the Jewish leadership. What an indictment for someone who wants to identify with belief and does not actually believe. Family, these men could say, we believe in the work of the temple. We believe in the importance of the Ten Commandments. And yet after saying, we believe them, could walk into some private office and debate, how can we get rid of, how can we kill the very one who's 
challenging us on our loyalty to the covenant. So they plan how they could obey. To John 8, the woman taken in the act of adultery, he said, those who are without sin cast the first stone. They could not. Why? They could not obey the covenant. The leaves on the tree might be taken as the promise of fruit, but there was no fruit there. So family, you and I need to remember, our lives proclaim we follow and represent Christ, but there is nothing in the promise if it does not reveal the fulfillment. Family, across the nation right now, you do any reading, what you see over and over again is a cry that Christianity is dying. I want to suggest to you something else. Perhaps what really is dying is something that was never Christian in the first place. So we don't play with our belief. We start with an understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone paid for our work in order to get to heaven. We believe and we understand the verses of Romans that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we believe the verse of John 6 when it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man shall come to the Father but by me. And we start with an understanding that salvation is in and only through the work of and the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So I want to encourage you, don't play church. Don't play Christian. Make certain that what you know and you believe is what the Bible teaches you as the identity of one who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and trusts Him alone. I want to I encourage you in a second way. Those of you who say, well, I've accepted Christ. I believe that there's another challenge of don't play church, don't play Christian. Don't play church with your behavior. Family, it might be taken that the tree with its leaves professed to offer something and did not. The leaves identified or advertised a product that was unavailable. Family, I don't, I don't know why agronomists ever created a flowering cherry tree. Do you understand? They wanted the look of a flower in the spring but they didn't want cherries. Forgive me, but what stupidity. Who wants to see a cherry tree and not eat cherries? That's just a waste of effort. Why would anybody come up and call anything a crab apple? Man, if I can't have a red delicious, then don't bother giving me a crab apple. Isn't that the same in our walk with Jesus Christ? We're not flowering cherry trees. 
We're fruit-bearing characters. We're fruit-bearing peaches. We're fruit-bearing apple trees. And so consequently, the, the whole Bible, all the New Testament encourages us that we should be known only by the fruit of our lives. So Matthew 7, verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 21, it is not the person who piously says, Lord, Lord, who will enter into the kingdom of the one who does the will of God. Family, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body, which is His, the King James would say. So we are encouraged to be known by our fruitfulness, by our identity to Christ. We cannot claim to be followers of Christ and then remain entirely unlike the Master whom we profess to love. Having the gift of salvation would mean a desire to want what the Savior wants and obey what the Savior commands. And so family, I want to encourage you as, as we read a difficult passage like this today, and we come under its authority. I believe that it's imperative that you and I also look at the text. And in light of our privileged position of being light to the community of Central Point and Medford, Jacksonville, and the surrounding areas, are we light? Are we fruitful? Do we well represent the cross of Jesus Christ as people see our lives? Or have they just reduced us to a political opinion? Have they reduced us to those good people down the street? Have they reduced us to that kind neighbor? Have they reduced us to that nice aunt and uncle? If they've reduced us to those things and they don't see the Savior, how horrible it is for them and how horrible it is for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd watch over. Dear God, we, we, we see in the, the fig tree Jesus Christ graphically showing that, that phony identity with God and God's authority ultimately meant nothing into the eyes of the Father. And the Son held the world accountable and held the Jewish community and the, the temple accountable for having forgotten the incredible privileged relationship that they could have with the Most High God. Father, God designed us to walk with Him. We see that in Genesis as Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God, their Creator. Father, we see that at, at Mount Sinai when, when He offers a relationship that would be my people. And they said, we want you to be our God. 
Father, we see that at the cross. When we recognize that the wrath of God is is taken away. And we have peace with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear God in heaven, we just ask that you'd watch over. Dear God, we would pray that you would be with those of us who say we are of the family of CBC. That you would give us the privilege of identifying ourselves as men and women who call upon the name of the Lord as the reason of our existence. Dear God in heaven, I would pray that you would be with anyone in here today as we come through these these moments of Scripture that, that create a division, those who know me as Savior and those who don't know me as Savior. And I would pray, dear God, that those who don't know you as Savior would understand the offer of a new life, the offer of a relationship with God, of being at peace and being part of His family adopted in. So, Father in heaven, I would pray that you would watch over people who may not understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that, dear God, they may embrace the truth of that offer and find joy. Dear God, I pray you'd be with us as we close this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.